0: The following content is provided by MIT OpenCourseWare under a Creative Commons license. Additional information about our license and MIT OpenCourseWare in general is available at ocw.mit.edu. Good afternoon. I'm, uh... Now that all you turkeys are back from Thanksgiving, how is I shouldn't have said that. How was Thanksgiving? Good. I'm, as I'm, I'm as I'm wrapping up the sleep and dreams thing, I, I should look around and see whether people look like they're like awake. How, how many people discharged a substantial amount of their sleep debt over the last few days? Yeah, yeah, good. The rest of you are still rolling around. Um, I am going. I'm going, but I'm coming back. Um, I I think I'm going to uh, depart a little from the organization of the lecture that's on the, the lecture notes. And I will trust on your uh, your talents to uh, figure out where I might even point out where I've gone to. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to reorganize things a bit because it occurred to me that I can organize <coughs> at least the uh, um, first part of the lecture uh, around. Uh, in, in, in the form of a sort of a, a summary statement about Freud, who I'm going to abandon fairly shortly here. Um, and I'll, I, I can work two examples, one of them about dreams and one of them about abnormal psych, um, which, um, in, uh, in which, where Freud or Freud's followers are wrong in both cases, but in one case we can do this business that I've been doing... Uh, for the last few lectures of saying, look, we can salvage something important out of Freud's ideas. And on the other, uh, in, in the other case, which will turn out to be the abnormal psych case, we'll say that, uh, in this case, Freud's followers were simply wrong and, and, and uh, um, have been superseded by, by later work. Um, so let me start by picking up in, in Sleep in Dreamland, talking about... Um, Talking about dreams. Uh, well, I won't ask if anybody had any good dreams over the course of their catching up on sleep over Thanksgiving. But uh, how, uh, I know what I'll ask. I will ask how many people did uh, sleep and dream stuff in recitation. Not many. Okay. How many people can remember? Not many. Okay. Oh, good. Good. That's encouraging. Um, the. Uh, <clears throat> All right, that allows me to ask. um, One of the the things that tends to surprise people sometimes is that there's a fair degree of commonality uh, in at least some of the dreams that, uh, that people have. They seem like such idiosyncratic, personalized stories that it's surprising to discover that some of the plot lines... Um, go across individuals. The sorts of... It's, well, it's a weird state, right? I mean, it's clear that there's a, there are weird aspects to the sleeping state. Um, the, the normal laws of physics seem to be um, suspendable. You can fly sometimes... You know, do things like that. You can fall for hours and hours and never hit the ground. Um, and uh, the normal laws of reality testing or the the awake state of reality testing seems to be off because you can fly and it doesn't strike you as weird. When you wake up, you say... That was weird, but if you think about it, while you were flying around or, or doing whatever other video game kind of thing you were doing in your dreams, yeah, that was just the way things were. If you have the same problem with reality testing, when you're awake, you end up <clears throat> in... Um, uh, you know, in the part of the course on abnormal psych that we'll get to in a minute, it's it's a it's a it's diagnostic of of having a variety of forms of mental illness. If you cannot tell the difference between dream you know, dream state and, and, and awake state, that's not healthy. When you're dreaming, you can't tell, but you're not you know you're not clinically insane. Um, the there was some one other sense in which it was different from the awake state that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned, but now I don't remember what it is. Oh, yes, uh, uh, just to point out that the transfer from um, experience to episodic memory does not work well for dreaming. This is why you forget your dreams so readily, is that when you, you know when you wake up, that dream is just sort of there, sitting around in some sort of short-term buffer, and if you don't do something like write it down or repeat it to yourself, you discover that those normal mechanisms that take your, um, uh, your experiences and transfer them into some sort of long-term memory, they're just not working. Um, so... That said, let's see, let's see if we can conjure up... Yep? What's when people say they, um, they know they're like, Oh, and it, it, all this stuff about different states of uh, sleep and a- a- awakeness should be seen as not absolutely categorical. So there are these borderline states, the, the, the sort of jargony term is liminal states, um, where you're in between being asleep and um, awake, uh, you, uh, in, in the course of a normal night's sleep, you'd probably wake up out of REM sleep, and, and you know, different bits of you are coming online at different times. You, and, and you may be aware, I'm still asleep, but I'm not quite asleep. How many people have had the experience of saying, "I'm waking up here, and I want to know how the story comes out"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always you're waking up at the good parts. Or, or how many of you have the, uh, the other experience, which I think maybe what you're getting to, which is, I'm asleep here, and this dream is not a good dream, and it's time to wake up out of this dream. I'm, I'm going to wake myself up. Fewer. Oh, and now, are there people here who are um, experts at what's known as lucid dreaming? Lucid dreaming is a sort of a, a, a halfway state where people claim to be able to, to uh, control the... Um, the, the, the plot line of their dreams. Um, there are books in the, in, you know, in the bookstore that will, train, that, that will claim that they can train you to do this and, and, and maybe you can, I don't know. Sounds good, right? I mean, all those people who said, oh man, I woke up <clears throat> and I, I wanted to hear how the thing came out. Yeah, if you'd go and train yourself to be a lucid dreamer, maybe you can go and, 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 and keep it going and, and, um, and, you know, I have these extremely frustrating dreams that I'm sure a good analyst would have a field day with. Um, But I choose to think that they are basically um, nice, simple, transparent uh, dreams. Uh, I like to ski. I dream about skiing. But in my dreams, I I spend a great deal of time uh, getting up the mountain, and I never get to ski you know, I get to the top and the snow melts or something like that. No, I don't want to hear your interpretation of what this is all really about or anything. I can do that too um, and make you know, make up all those good stories. But in any case, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes think I'm going to get one of these lucid dreaming books because damn it before I die I'm going to get to ski down that mountain <laughs> the conditions are always a great look a lot better than they do in the northeast when you actually go skiing it's uh well anyway um the, the so let us consider a couple of plot lines alright let, let, some of the things are, there, there's a sort of elements that show up in people's dreams how many people have had uh, falling dreams the, uh, how many people have ever hit the ground usually you don't hit the ground, right? You wake up just before you hit the ground. Oh, there's a whole raft of, 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 of sort of a pseudo-scientific nonsense about uh, um, how, many, how many people have ever been killed in their dreams. Oh, a fair number of them. Well, that's presumably a counterexample to the theory that if you die in your dreams, you die for real. <laughs> it's one of those great assertions. How would you know that was true? Right? What were you dreaming about? I don't know. I'm dead. You know. But typically, typically people report that you wake up just before you get killed by the whatever it is that's um, going to kill you. But the plot lines get more elaborate than that. How many people have had dreams? um, This is typically a dream of uh, uh, grade school the grade school era, where you show up in school inappropriately dressed in some fashion. All right, anybody want to, anybody care to describe one of those? (laughs) Well, uh, sorry, I heard, I heard a, somebody wave a hand if you want to actually tell us the, 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 you don't have to tell us your dream, it's fine, but nobody wants to. How inappropriate was it? I mean, it doesn't get much more inappropriate than I was buck naked, I suppose, which is the stand My version doesn't happen to be that. I I still vividly remember what must have been a kindergarten dream, um, because I ended up in my kindergarten classroom, of driving down the street from my house to my school in my crib, um, which presumably, by the time I was in kindergarten, I was long out of, and I ended up in school in my crib. In, uh, in my PJs you know and, and, and alright so you don't have to tell us what you weren't wearing um, there is there is a characteristic of this dream which is that once you get there once you end up in class what, uh, what happens anybody uh, anybody got any intuition about the common plot line here well I, I, I yeah Point laugh. Oh, people point and laugh. Um, do you believe it? How many? It's all right. Wait, wait. Uh, how many? Where, where's the inappropriately dressed crowd? Raise your hand if you're if you in the inappropriately dressed crowd. Cl- it's dropping. The numbers are dropping. Um, okay, not n- not inappropriately dressed right now. This is in your dreams. Inappropriately dressed. How many people uh, ag- agreed that what happened was they pointed and laughed? No, it's only in Russia. <laughs> The characteristic form of this dream is that nobody notices. I mean, that's not to say that you're, you're, you're weird for having the variant, either that or you're making it up, I don't know. But um, that, that you would think, you know, I would think if I showed up, you know, if I drove my crib in here, everybody's going to point and they're going to laugh. Um, But they don't. Uh, This is assumed to be some sort of a school anxiety dream. uh, School anxiety dreams of some sort are quite common. They also morph as you get older. So how many people have had a dream of the form um, where... uh, Well, all right, let's rephrase this. We'll get the form out of you. Uh, Has anybody had what they would consider to be an exam anxiety dream? Anybody willing to describe that? I don't think they mostly involve being grossly, inappropriately dressed. Yeah, yeah, okay. Before the psych uh, midterm, I started talking about psychological theories that don't actually exist. <laughs> yeah, psychological theories. That's a novel form of the dream. Um, but uh, that's good. Any, any good one? Well, I won't ask you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Okay. <laughs> Okay, so one version is the, uh, you overslept and you missed the exam. Um, Variants thereon? Yeah? I slept up to about an hour before the exam woke up and didn't study any. Of the exam. Okay, I haven't studied enough for the exam and perhaps because I, 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 something that's going to make it, uh-oh. Yeah? <laughs> they all pointed you and laughed at you, right? Think <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't some the language. You know, that happens. You know. the, yeah, the exam was in another language. How many people have had the version where you wake, you you you, you, uh, you realize in your dream that you have an exam in this this course and you've never been to the course, right? Yeah. Medieval French. I've got the medieval French exam. I've never taken medieval French. The um, or um, and and there, there are also versions of this where you. Um, Get to the exam and you realize that there's something about the exam. The, 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 the different language thing is a good example of this. Where you look at the exam and you realize there's no way I'm passing this exam. Not because you didn't make up the right psych uh, theory, but because I, I, I can't see the page in some weird way. Or... Um, uh, uh, Sometimes, somebody was telling me this morning of a great version where I I, I, I realize I'm going to be late to the exam and it's down the other end of the infinite corridor And the infinite corridor really is infinite (laughs) You're just going down it forever Anyway, if you haven't had that dream, don't worry, you will Um, At least, when I was an undergrad at, at, at Princeton, somebody did a study of this 25 percent of the freshman class, 50 percent of the sophomore class, 75 percent of the junior class, and you can see where this goes. It's an extremely common college-era type dream, and it doesn't get better after that. All that happens is that the, if you stay in academia, is that the form moves. Um, Any number of my uh, colleagues' have reported dreams where the, uh, this, this is the the, uh, well, the grad school version coming up here, um, the, 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 the dream where your thesis committee comes to you and says it was a big mistake, we're taking the PhD back, or that you have to take your oral exams over again, the thing you crammed for for months and then forgot all of it the next week. Or something like that. And then, if you end up in my position actually teaching, it just, it just flips around the exam anxiety dream. Um, where um, you have dreams where you get up in front of the class and you realize, medieval French! I don't know anything about medieval French! What do you mean I'm supposed to talk about medieval French for the next hour? The, uh, now, you may think that having anxiety dreams about not knowing what you're talking about is not that far from reality in the case of some of us who won't say more about that anymore. Um, but these, there are these sort of common themes that run through dreams. People have known this forever. And people have attempted to interpret dreams forever. So there's dream interpretation in, uh, in the Bible. Um, I'm sure in whatever culture you, you or your ancestors came from, there's a, a, a canon of dream interpretation. Um, one of, I, have I mentioned, uh, uh, Lucretius, Lucretius' great book, De Rerum Natura, on the nature of things? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, maybe some people think so, some people don't think so. Oh, well, what you gonna do? Um, Roman Roman author, uh, and it really is about the nature of things, it's everything, you know, it's 1801 and 801 and 900, and it's all rolled in one great big book, um, but he talked, he's he got a nice dream theory in there in which he says that, um, you know, lawyers dream of court cases and sailors are wrestling with the winds and things of that sort, suggesting, as Freud would later suggest, that every dream reflects something about the... Uh, the preceding day. Oh, let me say something about that. Um, I think I'm jumping ahead in my handout again. Oh, well, um, this was always assumed, anecdotally, to be true. Um, you know, you, you may have had this experience. You do something all day, and you dream about it all night. And, you know, there wasn't much data on this. Bob Stickgold, um, at Harvard Med has now gone off and collected some beautiful data on this what he did was he got people to play Tetris a lot of Tetris then he sent them to bed with little wires on their head and when they went into REM sleep he kicked them what are you dreaming about oh man bricks they're falling man you know and Nice, clear evidence. Of course, there's a non-Tetris control bro- group. You kick them on, flying down the infinite card or you know, something else. So the Tetris group dreamed about Tetris. The coolest thing about um, Stickgold's experiment is that he tested a population of amnesics, patients with the same basic problem as HM. Remember HM, no new long-term memories learn how to play Tetris you know, what are you doing, I'm playing Tetris You know, five minutes later, what were you doing, I don't know Right? doesn't remember any of this so you take these amnesics they play Tetris for a while, they're having a great time you send them to bed you kick them in the middle of the night what are you dreaming about, oh bricks, bricks, the bricks are falling they were dreaming about Tetris even though they didn't remember ever having played Tetris that was pretty cool. Anyway, there's now experimental evidence for this notion that your dreams incorporate um, material from the preceding days. Freud asserted that all dreams incorporated something from the preceding day. Is that absolutely true? Well, it's one of those assertions like all, um, uh, um, you know, da, da, da. snowflakes are different. That's kind of hard to prove. Um, but certainly, material from the preceding day gets incorporated. Is that a hand? Yeah. That is a hand they had um, these animals running through specific means. Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Um, Do you want to... I'm just wondering if that had anything to do because when they were... when the mice were asleep, um, their brains, when they did the, like, fMRI, were showing... um, actually... this is pretty good. She's going to give the rest of the story here. This is... Anybody from that... None of you guys are from that lab, right? no. This is done here. Um, so uh, if you look in the, in the, in the brain of, uh, in the hippocampus of a rat, what you discover is the hippocampus not only is there encoding, you know, the rat's episodic memories in some sense maybe, but it's also serving as a spatial map. So when a rat learns a maze, <clears throat> it develops... Uh, a map of that maze, in effect, in its hippocampus, and it develops cells that are so-called place... It's got place cells, and the place cells develop responses that are specific to a specific place. So, you know, the rat's running around in a maze, and, you know, this cell goes off right here. go here, Go over here. Different cell goes off. Go over here. Different cell goes off. And as the rat learns the maze, you, the experimenter, can watch the rat learning this because you can watch cells in the hippocampus Um, lighting up in order, in effect. So, now the rat does this all day. Okay, the rat goes to sleep. The rat goes into REM sleep. All mammalian species, except for the spiny anteater, don't ask me why, I know that. Uh, All mammalian species have REM sleep. So, you kick the rat, you ask the rat what he was dreaming about. (coughs) Rat doesn't say nothing. But... If you're recording from his hippocampus while he's asleep, what you see is the same cells lighting up in order again. It's, it, you know, who knows what the rat's actually experiencing, but what the rat's hippocampus is doing is running the maze. Um, this is, first of all, part of the argument for um, uh, sleep having something to do with consolidation of memory and learning, um, and, and it's also an argument for um, for the possibility, at least, that the rats are, are, are dreaming away there, too. Um, well, now, Freud's greatest, arguably Freud's greatest work is, is Interpretation of Dreams. That's the name of the book. Big, fat book. Still kind of fun to read, but it's kind of long. From 1900. Um, remember that Freud was writing, before we knew any of this stuff about Um, REM sleep or anything of that sort and what Freud thought was happening was that um, pressure was building up in your unconscious so let's switch from a sort of a dungeon model to a sort of a plumbing model well no no we got the boiler down in the dungeon And it's building up pressure, this repressed material that we've been talking about. It's building up pressure and and it's going to blow the roof off the whole building unless we vent some of the pressure. And so you've got to be able to get some of that out of there. One of the ways to do it is um, dreams. To release this while you're asleep. Now, what Freud said was that um, dreams start when some hunk of the preceding day that he called the day residue, some idea, some activity, some something, made an association with something down in your um, repressed, in, in, in your unconscious. And that allowed this unconscious prisoner to try and make a break for freedom. Um, and, and the form of that break would be an effort to, um, to fulfill this repressed wish, if you like. That's why it was called wish fulfillment. Wish. Um, fulfill. Oops, not too many F's in there. Fulfill. That, that you were going to try to fulfill one of these repressed wishes while you were asleep. There's a problem with that, said Freud. Um, which is if you take the material down, the repressed material to be this stuff that's repressed because it's unacceptable to you, to the conscious you, to the ego, what's going to happen if you start dreaming about it? Well, we've already gotten part of the answer here. Many people here have had dreams so awful that they've deliberately woken themselves up out of them. Now, most of those dreams, I would imagine, were... um, You know, dreams where the monster's about to put the bite on you or something like that. What Freud said is that, look, if you were going to start dreaming about... Oh, let's dismember my little brother. Oh, look at his little guts. You know, stuff like that. That would be really gross and really disturbing. And you would say to yourself, I don't want to be having this dream. And you would wake up. So what you need to do is to disguise the material in the dream. So you've got... Um, said Freud, the latent content of the dream that you don't know about, the latent content, tent is the um, repressed material that's trying to, to, to be vented out. What you see is the manifest content, um, which is the storyline of the dream. It's, it's, the, it's hidden material. It, it, it is hiding the latent content from you so that you can sleep. Freud argued that the, the primary role of the, the sort of sleep mechanism was to protect the sleeper, to keep you asleep, and allow you to sleep, and allow this uh, you know, sort of venting of, of, of repressed um, steam to, uh, to take place. Now, um, and, and, and were you to show up in analysis... The reason your dreams would be what Freud called the royal road to the unconscious was if you could work back from the manifest content to the latent content, which was a job of analysis, not a job of picking up some uh, supermarket guide to your dreams, but a job of working with you and an analyst. But if you could go back from the manifest content to the latent content, you'd know something about what it was that was bugging you. Now, the fact that, um, like repression as a whole, the fact that you have... These disguised dreams all the time doesn't mean that you're somehow sick and diseased. It means that's part, again, of what it means to be human for Freud. You're going to need repression. You're going to need to be able to bubble off some of this uh, repressed energy. And dreams are a nice... A nice, safe way to do it. Well, it's an interesting theory, but it runs into some major problems which, of course, Freud didn't know about because he died in 1939 and REM wasn't discovered for another couple of decades or so. When REM is discovered, it becomes a lot harder to believe that you are boiling up this little poof of repressed energy every 90 minutes like clockwork. Um, that's, that's a bit surprising. Well, that's a bit surprising. More surprising is if you look at babies, a one-month-old is remming a great deal more than you're remming. How much repressed stuff does a one-month-old baby have to deal with? Not much. How about a lion? Lions, they rem all the time. Apparently predators show more rem than prey, as I recall. So, yeah, all, all the mammals are sitting there doing this rem thing. Right? You know, lions. Except for, like, Scar and the Lion King and stuff like that. You know, there's not a lot of, of, of repressed work that a lion presumably has to deal with, or a cow. Cows don't rem that much, but, you know. Oh, I really want it to hurt the grass. I, I feel bad about the... I don't know. So, presumably... Um, now, what, what, what's, what's going on? When you dream is, uh, is is and when you go into REM is that there are centers down in your brain stem that spray a vast amount of activity up into um, Cortex and Light it up as though you were awake. That's what you end up seeing in in, in REM um, and One of the senses in which Freud was was right is the sense in which um, dreaming does protect the sleeper. If you light up well, you're trying to go to sleep, right? And I light up cortex by coming into your room, turning on all the lights and turning the stereo way up, you have trouble sleeping. Well, your brain's doing the same kind of thing when you go into REM sleep, but you've but you've got to do something with all that cortical activity, or you're just going to wake up. So you turn it into this storyline for who knows who to watch, you know, on the big widescreen TV in your brain. Um, and in that sense, you do end up um, protecting your sleep by dreaming. In fact, many of uh, this. Freud wasn't thinking about alarm clocks, but an example of this would be how many of you have incorporated um, your alarm clock into a dream and managed to successfully stay asleep. Yeah, well, that's that's a sort of a non-Freudian sense in which the dream engine is protecting your sleep. Yeah, you know, I want to stay asleep here. There's a loud noise. Well, I don't know where there's loud is coming from. My brainstem's making these loud noises all the time. So let's just pretend it's from the inside and not the outside. And we can dream that we're getting up, right? Dream that we're getting up. We'll dream that we're going to class and taking the exam. And then we wake up and it really is halfway through. Don't do this at the final, please. It's so lame. Um, particularly since the exam's at the, 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 nine, the 900 finals, 1.30, right? got plenty of time to wake up by 1.30. But every year, somebody wanders in at like 2.30, 3 o'clock with the big bags under the eyes, right? You know, so you do sort of believe them. I just woke up. Yeah, well, good. Sit down. See if you can see the exam. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so th- 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 there's that sense in which um, uh, th- 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 Freud had a point that sleep was protecting the dream. But is there any meaning to it? Is there any sense in which, there, in which there's meaning in your dreams? Um, I mean, after all, you are dreaming because your brainstem decided to um, throw all the switches in your visual cortex or something, and you're busy trying to stay asleep. I think there is a sense in which you might be able to argue that you could get something meaningful out of dream. You're not just looking at static on the brain. Um, and actually, I, I thought of a, a way to demo this, but I didn't bring any of the props because I only thought when I saw this thing. So a uh, I, I, uh, piece of paper. I probably got a piece of paper. What I need, Who's got a coin on them? Somebody have a coin? Let's see if I can make this work. Ooh, do, do, do. Ooh, that that's that that looks pretty so far okay and, and I also need a pencil somebody have a pencil this works better with a pencil than a pen oh my goodness it's coming all the way from the cheap seats with the oh and he, but he's just, uh, visual search okay oh oh he wanted to do this because he, he he's got a fancy coin this is very cool here we're up to a uh, 19, all right now pen, pencil is that a pencil pencil here we go okay. Uh, this is my brain. Um, that's, <coughs> thank you. <laughs> Didn't you have something else you needed to do today? <laughs> um, all right, so, well, actually, it's just my cortex. It can, it can just be my cortex. I, I, I've gone and stuck this under the, uh, un, under the uh, this is, well, that's my cortex under there. This is my brain stem. Um, and so now I will spray activity across my cortex here. And let's see if this sort of works. This is... Oh, are we getting anything good here? Come on. Do something. It looks like squat, doesn't it? That's... This is... Well, you know what? That's a really boring, dorky demo. Um, you could... If you were... That's, it's, it's, it's a fidelity issue. I can see what use a different pencil a wooden pencil no 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 the problem it's, it looks just fine from here um, here we'll try we'll try the other side up see if that works any better but I don't think it will do it at more of an angle hold the pencil at more of an angle alright we'll try this one more time oh look maybe we're getting I don't know what are we getting we're getting, we're getting nothing. <laughs> well, we're getting nothing that you're going to see. Oh, yeah, no, you can sort of see something, but it's really boring. Um, well, that was lovely. Here, I will, I will describe, do you want, yeah, 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 yeah watch this. Here we go. That was fun. Okay. Um, all right. Here's what I was doing <laughs> that didn't work, but makes a brilliant model anyway. Um, if you if, you can try this for yourself, if you stick a coin under a piece of paper um, and and rub a pencil over it, you can actually see the shape of the uh, of of the pattern on the coin. Um, yeah. You know, or if you, anybody here ever done brass rubbing or grade stone rubbing or any of that sort of. Thing? Uh, yeah, okay, a few people alright anyway. look the point is that by spraying random noise across a structured object in effect I can see something of the structure that's boy this took more minutes than it should have um, by spraying random noise from your brain brainstem stem across your particular brain the particular dreams that you get are going to say something about that underlying structure so you know if you know, Attila the Hun, when he was dreaming, was not dreaming about uh, you know, trains going into tunnels or stuff like that. Because Attila the Hun didn't know anything about trains. You dream about trains, they may or may not, you know, trains going into tunnels, you know, it's sort of a classic at uh, supermarket dream analysis image of of a sexual dream or something like that it may or may not be a sexual dream but the content of that dream you know that that set of imagery is a function of your particular brain if you dream about tetris after playing tetris all day it's because you were doing the playing the tetris not because somebody else was playing tetris so it could well be if you thought you had a process for going back from the, the, the storyline that's there to protect you from waking up with all that noise in your head to the underlying structure of your mind, if you had a process that you thought worked, then it follows that you might actually get some sort of interesting meaning out of your dreams. Now, it's a quite a leap to decide that you actually know how to do this. Analysts think they do. Um, people who write guides to uh, dream interpretation think they do. Um... And I, I, I think I'll just leave it, uh, leave it at that as an exercise for the reader to go and decide whether or not they've got deep meaning in their dreams. And what I will... so that, Okay, so that's an example where Freud didn't know the subsequent hundred years of sleep research. So the, 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 if you actually read Interpretation of Dreams, a lot of it would sound kind of odd at this point, but that the core ideas... That, that, that sleep needs to protect you, keep you asleep, um, and that it's, it, it, it's sort of a repackaging of this activity of your mind, those seem to be um, core ideas that can still do a certain amount of work for us. Now, a place where the effort to apply Freudian ideas did not pan out um, is in, uh, in, in the treatment of schizophrenia. So I'm going to jump to talking about that, and I may or may not manage to jump back to the other things that I claimed I was going to jump back to. Um, but uh, I might. Let me say... Um, so, in in, um, in, in in the middle part of the 20th century, um, mental hospitals in the U.S. were filled with... Um, uh, with chronic schizophrenics schizophrenia is an extremely disabling disease um, when it's uh, in, in its florid state so, schizo- so schizophrenia the, the word comes from split mind um, as it says on the handout um, for five points free on the on the final exam probably not the same thing as a multiple personality disorder um, the the split uh, The the, the split in the mind is a split that 19th century psychiatry saw between um, emotional life and cognitive life. It is in fact a sort of an unfortunate term um, because it does make people think that it's the same thing as as, uh, multiple personality disorder. It's not. Um, Multiple personality uh, patients can actually uh, function at least somewhat in the world. Um, reasonably well. Um, uh, floridly schizophrenic patients do not work well out there in, in, the, in the world. That's why they end up hospitalized. The sorts of symptoms that you get are um, uh, hallucinations, uh, hearing voices, paranoid delusions, uh, often of, uh, uh, of vast conspiracies to control your mind. You can see this as a sort of an adaptive response, right? If your mind... If, if some chunk of you, in a sense, knows that your mind is out of control, it's not an unreasonable, irrational thought to believe that somebody else is doing this to you. Um, so it's not. It, it, may, it may, in some sense, be reasonable to think uh, to to imagine how people could come to believe that their mind was being controlled by um, by somebody else. The sorts of things that that uh, led to uh, the. the, the, the notion of a dissociation, I shouldn't say dissociation, of a split between cognition and emotion. Um, Another characteristic of schizophrenia is so-called inappropriate affect. That's just jargon for um, showing the wrong emotions at the wrong time. Uh, The sort of classic symptom is, is, uh, you know, laughing at the funeral. You know, if, if, if you're just yucking it up at graveside or something like that, people will Think that that is not uh, is that that's not normal, and it is in fact um, one of the characteristics of of, uh, of schizophrenia. And schizophrenia is a sort of a messy diagnosis. Not every schizophrenic has um, every one of these symptoms, um, but you can you can imagine that by the time you, you you're you're gripped by. Uh, Thought, fantastical thoughts uh, and conspiracy theories, and you're hearing voices and seeing things that aren't there. That, that, that this is this is uh, um, this is pretty disabling, pretty disabling stuff. Um, the uh, some of the not 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 you're not also. It's not so disabling that you can't be out there in the world. By the way, when I was a graduate student, when I was a graduate student, the MIT department was called psychology. One of, the da- one of the reasons, though perhaps not one of the more serious reasons for changing the name, was that my, uh, my doctoral advisor, who was chair of the department, got tired of getting phone calls from people who wanted to know about stuff like you know, abnormal psychology, which nobody at the MIT department ever did anything with. And so he would always just you know, get the phone call, or his secretary would get the phone call, and she was instructed to say, don't call us, they do that stuff at Harvard. Um, but... I remember one time when, we were, when I was a grad student um, that rather than phoning up, one of these people came to the lab. Um, and he wandered into the lab and said that he knew that we were controlling his mind with um, microwaves beamed from this location and he wanted us to stop right now. Um, and uh, you know, I'm there sort of, uh-oh. Um, but my advisor... Um, uh, with great presence of mind, I thought, uh, walked over to the biggest rack of equipment in the lab, threw the biggest switch he could find, said, there, does that feel better? The guy said yes and left. <laughs> the, um, I'm not sure I recommend this as a treatment for, uh, for delusional patients, but it, but it worked in this... And then we changed the name of the department. Um, but in any, in any case... Um, It it, it can be very disabling and it it often can lead to hospitalization. What would Freud have said about it? Well, what Freud said about it was, these are not patients that I want to deal with, basically. He doesn't write extensively about schizophrenia um, and, and says uh, in, in various places that, look, if you're going to do psychoanalysis, the first thing you need is a patient that you can at least talk to. Anna O. Oh, with her collection of hysterical symptoms, may have been... Um, uh, in, in, in psychiatric trouble of some variety, but you could talk to her about it. You could engage in this dialogue. If you've got a patient who is, um, is delusional and hallucinating, there's not much Freud thought you could do with them. However, his followers um, thought you could and developed a theory... Um, growing out of uh, uh, Freudian psychodynamic ideas of where schizophrenia came from. And so in the mid-20th century, um, psychiatric hospitals were filled with, uh, uh, with schizophrenics and filled with good, Freudianly trained analysts attempting to treat them. And what they thought the cause was uh, was the so-called schizophrenogenic parent, typically mother. Um, schizophrenogenic is a great word, um, but you know it's 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 the it's the it's somebody who generates schizophrenia. Anyway, a schizophrenogenic mother. Um, what what was the problem here? Uh, the problem was what uh, uh, the the. Therapists perceived as a double-bind situation that the mother was somehow putting the child in. The mother was saying, come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away. I love you, I love you, I love you, get away, get away, get away. Um, Somehow both saying, come near me and get away from me at one and the same time. And that this was literally driving the child mad. Now, why would they have come up with such a theory? One of the reasons was that um, onset of Uh, schizophrenia is quite typically uh, late adolescence, early adulthood. Oh, that reminds me to reiterate or iterate for the first time if I haven't mentioned it yet. No, I think I did mention it. Uh, Remember what I was saying about um, uh, psychiatric hypochondria? The the, the notion that if if I sit around and lecture about uh, uh, psychiatric disorders, you shouldn't go and, 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 and be, you know, feeling your brain for the rest of the term, saying, oh man, I'm going to wake up with a dissociative disorder tomorrow and that's going to progress to schizophrenia and dementia and I'm going to be dead. Um, Or what, you know, the fact that schizophrenia has its onset in a population, typical onset in a population of about your age doesn't mean that tomorrow we're going to have 300 schizophrenic students in this class. Um, It does happen. um, By the I mean, I, I had the, what convinced me a a, a small aside when you're discussing abnormal behavior which we are now there are two senses of that one sense of that is all behaviors that you care to measure have some variability in them you can simply assert that everybody above two standard deviations or something is abnormal um and, and we'll see as we go along that there are times when that is not an unreasonable thing, uh, an unreasonable thing to do. There are other times when it's a wacky thing to do. Um, and, and, well, alright, for a wacky example, uh, the, virtually everybody here is abnormal in that sense but then the axis is SAT score. Right? Most of you are, are up here in the upper tail of the distribution. Sure, it's abnormal, but we don't consider it as pathological. Right? <laughs> At least not in this community. Um... <laughs> On the other hand, so so the other possibility is that, sure, the normal population is distributed like this, but there is a disease state of some sort that looks like this, that's essentially discontinuous with the normal state. Um, And arguments have been made, notably by a a, a psychiatrist in the 60s, whose name is probably pronounced something like Shosh. Um, a Hungarian name. Anybody happen to know the, the right answer? Anyway, Thomas Saz will do, um, or Shash, or something. In any case, he made, he made the argument that, uh, in a book entitled Being Sane in an Insane World, that schizophrenia was simply a way to adapt to the fact that, that the Russians had lots of bombs, and we had lots of bombs, and we were all going to blow each other up, um, and that it was just one position on on this normal curve. Um, it's an interesting argument, but if you actually see somebody in the midst of a florid schizophrenic break from reality, um, it's, it's hard to believe. And, and I had, when I was an, an undergraduate, the, the roommate of, of a close friend of mine had such a... Um, had such a break it's unmistakable it's at once fascinating and deeply frightening I mean this was a a friend of ours who uh, became you know delusional she was hallucinating she she absolutely um, couldn't function and was scaring the heck out of her her roommate I mean she eventually um, actually she eventually uh, did fine I we caught up with her like 20 years later and 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 you know People do recover from schizophrenia, and she was doing quite well, thank you. But in any case, she was the the data point that, for for at least for me, argued strongly for the notion that this is a different state, not just a uh, um, a, a, a position on a uh, on a on a continuum. Um, in any case, the psychiatrists were busy trying to treat this um, with sort of Freudian psychotherapeutic techniques, it wasn't working. Um, this wasn't because they were bad people. These were well-intentioned people doing the best um, by, by their lights that they could. It just wasn't working. It was a case where the theory was just wrong. Oh, one of the engines that moved theory away from this, by the way, were um, parent advocacy groups. You've got to imagine. Well, you've got to imagine that uh, that that having a a seriously ill child, uh, whether that's a physical illness or a mental illness, is very traumatic for parents. Period. But imagine um, how you would feel if the leading theory was that this was your fault that you had done this to your child. Not, not intentionally, of course, but it was you who had done it. Parents simply didn't believe it. And as science started to emerge, suggesting that in schizophrenia's case, it was much more like a brain disease than uh, like the product of, of bad mothering, um, that uh, groups, funding groups, you know, the guys who send you lots of mail at this time of year saying, send us your check, and we'll support good research on this disease or that disease or whatever. Um, the, uh, a number of these groups powered by parents of schizophrenics were helping to move the research away from, from the notion of a schizophrenogenic mother. But what really did it was it just didn't work. Nobody could make this story um, work. What emptied, the, the, the psychiatric hospitals are no longer filled with, um, uh, with, psychiatric, uh, with schizophrenic patients. Um, and that's not because of a great breakthrough in, in Freudian psychotherapy. It's because of drugs. Um, in the 50s, uh, drugs like Thorazine, chlorpromazine is the technical uh, name, came uh, on the market. These were, in, in in this particular case, these are drugs that um, that re- uh, block dopamine receptors. Dopamine's a neurotransmitter. The receptor on the other side of the synapse. Um, Thorazine, uh, decreased the uptake of, um, uh, of dopamine. And that served to, um, ameliorate the florid symptoms of schizophrenia in particular. You put somebody on Thorazine and they didn't hallucinate anymore. And they, 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 they their paranoid delusions slipped away. Oh, let me tell you, I can tell you another anecdote about, um, uh, schizophrenics. Schizophrenics I have known. We had a uh, uh, very interesting woman who was the librarian in in the department here some years ago. Um, PhD classicist, um, and uh, and also uh, she was uh, schizophrenic and successfully medicated um, and and you know, functioned well as as our as you know as the psych department librarian when, uh, on on medication and you know I, I, anytime i tell you the root of something like schizophrenia the, you know the latin and greek roots of these words it's because i'm remembering what she taught me um, but she would slip off of her medication you could tell when she was slipping off her medication because her handwriting her handwritten notes would start getting smaller and smaller and longer and longer. She developed this very micro-writing and and, and very extensive writing, and then the content would start to slip, too. And she would also start cutting... If it got dim in the library, you knew you were in for trouble because she became photophobic. One of the interesting problems here, and one of the problems in treatment, was that as she fell off her medicine, she became paranoid. What was the nature of her paranoia? The nature of her paranoia was that people wanted to control her brain using chemicals. Well, that was exactly true. But, you know, if we would tell her, you've got to start taking your medicine, that was just evidence for her that we were trying to control her brain, which was true. So it wasn't even really, a, you know, it's very tricky stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny and sad at the same time. Eventually, um, that, 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 that it, she was no longer able to control this and, and was no longer able to hold the job, um, which, which, was, which was sad. Um, But it's also a real issue, a real medical ethics issue. Um, When the hospitals were emptied by these drugs, the promise was that supports would be placed in the community that would make it possible for um, uh, medicated schizophrenics to function. It's not a cure because the medicines are imperfect. For instance, um, it's not the case that dopamine—the problem in schizophrenia isn't that dopamine is bad stuff and if you have lots of it, you're you're in trouble. It is clear that in 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 schizophrenia, bits of the brain are awash in too much dopamine. But if you wipe out, if you just blanket push down dopamine, other bits of the brain which really like dopamine um, are starved for it. The sorts of symptoms that you get when dopamine um, is removed from these chunks of the brain are the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Muscle tremors and inability to initiate voluntary activity. So a a patient over-medicated on Thorazine isn't um, hallucinating anymore, but is also sort of inert. And so it, it's, it's not trivial to just say, take this pill, great, you're cured. It was clear that management was going to be needed. Um, it was clear in many cases that people were going to need housing that was like sort of halfway housing, not, not complete independence. Um, but you could be out in the world um, and you, w- you wouldn't need to be hospitalized anymore, but you'd need some sort of continuing care. The problem is that um, we've systematically not given enough Basically, money and resources to that, and the result is um, there are numbers of imperfectly uh, medic or perfect medication isn't out there yet, but but um, inadequately medicated, um, unsuccessfully medicated patients who ought to be cared for who are not being cared for um, by the system. Uh, the, the, the The homeless population is over. Re, the schizophrenics are overrepresented in the homeless population because if you uh, are not successfully medicated, it's hard to hold a job. It's hard to keep a, uh, uh, an, an apartment or something like that, and, and you end up on the street. That loops back to this issue about your paranoid delusion about, being, about somebody trying to control your mind. When is it okay then, now that you're on the street, now that you're floridly schizophrenic again, when is it okay for us as a society to come in and say, guess what, we don't care that you think we're trying to control your mind, we're going to medicate you whether you want to or not, because it's for your own good. You can argue, yeah, it's for your own good, but there's lots of things that, that, you know, I might decide it's for your own good that you should sleep eight hours a night. Do I get to enforce that? No, I don't. Um, if I decide that it's good for you to take a drug that is going to, in fact, control your mind, when do I get to do that? And this ends up in court regularly. And, and it ends up on talk radio all the time, right? Because it's the sort of thing that, that yakking head talk radio loves to get excited about. You know, some judge declares that, that, that some clearly schizophrenic individual has a, a constitutional right to live under a bridge yelling obscenities at you um, and, 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 and talk radio goes nuts um, yeah, it's an interesting question it's not a question with an easy answer when do you get to decide that um, you're allowed to take control over somebody else's um, when, when you're allowed to take control over somebody else's um, mental life at the present time um, so At the present, the the view of schizophrenia is, as I say, much more that it's a distinct state, a brain disease of some sort. What might cause it? Well, the fact that um, a pill that reduces uh, the the effects of dopamine does something tends to suggest to people that there's a biological cause there. Um, And in the case of schizophrenia, that well may be true, but it's important to note that that doesn't need to be true. Things that are cured or symptoms that are cured by... By pills aren't necessarily symptoms that are caused by you know, bad genes or, or, or bacteria or something of some biological story like that. A perfectly nice example is motion sickness. You go on an airplane, you get bounced around, you throw up. What are you gonna do about this? Well, you can take scopolamine or meclizine, that's uh, bonine and uh, bonine is meclizine and dramamine is scopolamine, two perfectly nice um, drugs that affect your vestibular system and and they will keep you from getting motion sick. That's not because you've got bad motion sickness genes or or you got the motion sickness bacteria. It's a biological treatment, if you like, for an environmentally caused uh, disorder. I point that out only to make the point that um, what cures or treats a disorder doesn't necessarily tell you what the cause is. That's something that's, imp- there's not a one-to-one mapping there. That's, uh, that's important to keep in mind. Um, but the drugs certainly do help with the symptoms. What, uh, what psychopharmacologists work on a lot now is getting drugs that work better. All right, we want to reduce dopamine here, but not here. Well, it turns out that there's a bunch of different dopamine receptors. Let's make a drug that only acts at this location and not um, at this location. That's the sort of project that um, that psychopharmacology works on um, at the present time. But I, I want to go back and talk about uh, the... Uh, possible root uh, causes of mental illness, but I'll do that after we take a, a, a brief break here. in the plane. I thought he gave you a plane that I had a hole in it. So when you said, this is my brain, that's what was making me laugh. It was insane. I wasn't going to sit around and, 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 and feel harsh thoughts about oh, you. I know, a, I know. I tell you. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Say hi. I want to do with the remaining portion, probably all of the remaining portion of today's lecture is uh, is to make two points, which I have already alluded to. One of them is that there are multiple routes into mental illness, not just any sort of single route, and you're going to need to work this out on a case-by-case basis. And the other related point is that the border between uh, normal and abnormal is not necessarily a sharp, clearly marked one. Oh, by the way, there's a... uh, um, If you're interested in this latter point, there's an article in today's um, New York Times science section about really exactly this point in the context of eating disorders, a topic that I hope to get to before the end of the course, um, where it's it's very important to be able to... Diagnose to give a label to um, to psychiatric conditions. Why is that important? In part, it's important because third party payers will pay if you have a disorder, but they won't pay if you're just feeling a little screwed up, right? So you got to have a labeled disorder. So there's been a big movement. Um, within the American Psychiatric Establishment to come up with clear diagnostic criteria. The nice thing about, you know, going to your pediatrician and getting a a, a throat culture for strep is that I can grow it in in the lab and if you got strep, you got strep and I give you something for strep. Mental illness is almost never like that. You got some collection of symptoms. Are they adequate to... Um, get you the definition of this disease and the the, um, the Times article is pointing out that there are that, 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 that therapists are having real problems with people who any idiot can see has let's say an eating disorder but the official uh, criteria for anorexia nervosa the, the, the uh, eating disorder of self-starvation are you have to have boom, 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 boom and boom well if you're missing that boom You can't make the diagnosis. What do you call them now? Um, Anyway, so today's New York Times science section, go check it out. Um, In the meantime, let us return to 1900 um, to talk a bit about possible causes of mental illness. Um, In 1900, half the patients in American mental hospitals had a disorder known as dementia paralytica. Um, This is bad stuff. It's a disorder that starts with um, mania and grandiosity as its symptoms. Those are symptoms. Um, you know, if, if you think um, that, that, that you are Jesus and that you can turn water into wine and stuff like that, in the rare, except in the rare case where that turns out to be true or something, it's, it's a psychiatric um, symptom. And, and, it's a, and it would be, it would be a, a manic symptom of some sort. You know, if you think you're the reincarnation of Napoleon and, and this time you're going to get the invasion of Russia right um, or something like that, you know, that's the sort of thing that gets you into, to, into psychiatric care. Um, in, in the case of Dementia Paralytica, it then, uh, it, it then proceeded to the other two bits of the, uh, the name, Dementia um, you, people became demented. They then became paralyzed, lost control of their muscles, and then they died. This is not a good disorder. Um, it has disappeared, essentially. Why? Anybody got any... Uh, any does anybody happen to know the answer? I do, you do you... Yes, yes. Which person? I don't know what this... Stu- what, what are you looking behind you for? How many people are wearing witchy hats? <laughs> <laughs> there must be a... Stu- How long have you thought you were a witch? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yes, you were saying... Yeah, all right. The problem is people know too much around here. You know, you can fish around for all sorts of interesting answers, like one of the possible reasons for a diagnosis to disappear is you you fractionate the disorder into a bunch of other stuff, and we've now renamed it, and and this is now called Alzheimer's and a few other things. But no, in fact, it is an outside pathogen. In this case, um, dementia paralytica was the result of uh, tertiary third-stage syphilis. The reason... Um, you don't see it anymore is that nobody gets to third stage syphilis anymore. If you show up with symptoms of syphilis, somebody treats you. Um, and, and, and this was the result by the time um, the organism had gotten to your brain and, and, and chewed up your brain. Um, and uh, and so it disappeared with, 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 with treatment. But one, so what it points out is that one of the routes to mental illness um, is and assault, a biological assault from the outside. There are, um, uh, so, so there are theories, um, uh, unproven theories that a rise in autism that's been seen in this country over the last couple of generations is due to some sort of external insult to the nervous system, not clear what it is. Um, but there are theories, you know, there are proposals out there that something that we're doing to the environment is, is causing more autism, for example. Um, the, um, so, but th- th- this, this is an example of a clearly biologically rooted organi- uh, a, a, a mental illness. Um, the, perhaps the extreme other end of the scale would be Um, Well, all right, actually, it's more like a triangle. We could have um, biology. We could have um, an environmental disorder. And we could have what you might consider to be a societally defined disorder. Um, The distinction here is this is um, a case where the environment somehow really does make you insane. And this is a case where we take the normal distribution and declare the upper tail of the distribution to be um, a psychopathology of some sort. Um, so let's look for examples of both of these. A perfectly nice example, well not nice, an example of an environmental disorder um, would be um, what was called shell shock in World War One, and would now probably be more generally lumped under the uh, category of, of traumatic stress disorder. Um, exposure to extreme um, stress and being shot at counts um, it, uh, can produce a, a range of, of uh, disabling psychiatric symptoms. So in World War One, when um, people were fighting this insane warfare of having uh, vast numbers of people in entrenched positions um, shelling each other and just charging at each other, some uh, uh, fraction of the population of soldiers cracked up. You know, they just... Couldn't function. They would cry hysterically. They would just lie there and not do anything. And and um, you know the, the 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 first reaction of uh, of the military to such things is to decide that this is insubordination and and, and you know to shoot you um, or something of that sort for for failing to obey orders. But it became clear to. Uh, uh, to medical folks during World War One, that this was um, not a voluntary act. This was this was a psychiatric problem, and they did they treated it was it, it, there's um, they went and pulled people back behind the lines. Worked very hard to treat them so that they could return them to the war um, in a uh, uh, in a sort of a sick irony. But this is a disorder that. Um, uh, that is clearly environmental in its root. Now, there's probably some, um, you know, not everybody who's placed under stress um, produces a post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's clear that there's some underlying variation of unknown nature that makes some people vulnerable to it and some people not. But the precipitating cause here um, is environmental. Now, this is something that's a, a, a topic of a lot of current uh, um, interest in psychiatry um, and in clinical psychology, because as it's been appreciated that this sort of trauma does produce psychiatric symptoms, um, efforts are made to prevent this when it's, you know, when it's clear it's going to happen. So, um, first responders... Right, the, the, the police and firemen, who are gonna be the first guys at crash scenes or into burning buildings, are gonna see really terrible stuff. And it's known that that's gonna produce a collection of, of uh, psychiatric symptoms. So an interesting question is, well, if you know that, what could you do, perhaps, to, to ameliorate the situation? One very popular idea has been that after a crisis... I mean, you hear this all the time on um, uh, when something really bad happens, like a school shooting or something. One of, the, one of the things you do is you immediately pour in a bunch of therapists, and one of the ideas is you get people together to talk about it. Um, one particular modality of therapy is you get every, basically you get all your firefighters who were at this scene into a, uh, a room together to, to talk it through. And that this has been proposed as a mechanism for preventing these stress disorders. Um, unfortunately, a big study came out last year suggesting sounds lovely doesn't work. Not that it does anything particularly bad or anything. It just doesn't. Um, it just doesn't work. It's a little like the story. Um, I mean, what it points out is is, is that the the state of the art is a a little like the problem I was talking about with Freudian attempts to explain uh, uh, um, schizophrenia. These are difficult problems where... Good, well-meaning clinicians try stuff out that doesn't necessarily work. Very hard to get a, a, a clear feeling from this from reading the popular press, where you get you know one miracle cure after the other, and then the miracle cure fades away. But it fades away in the literature somewhere. You don't get to see this very clearly in, in the uh, um, if you just sit there, um, you know, reading the science section of the uh, uh, of, of Time magazine or something of that sort. Anyway. So, you know, third stage syphilis munches up your mind. Um, you know, a, a trench warfare munches up your mind. Um, are there diseases that are defined purely by society? Um, and what does that mean? Uh, you know, are, are those legitimate? Well, let's talk about one that's not terribly legitimate. Um, I, I don't think anybody here is deeply familiar with the uh, with the disorder called drapetomania. Any drapetomania experts? No. Okay. Any uh, any Greek scholars? No. So we're not going to get anybody to tell us what the root is. Um, so it's it's not a it's not a manic desire to put up drapes. Um, it's uh, drapido comes from a, a root having a Greek root having to do with wandering off, um, and and the mania is the mania part. So it's an insane desire to wander away alright, that sounds like it could be insane. This is a disorder discovered by a a, a doctor named Cartwright in Louisiana in the 1840s. Um, He writes about it in a book endearingly titled Peculiarities of the Negro Race. So, you need to think, alright, time to review your AP American history, Um, right? 1840s, Louisiana. If you are a member of the Negro race, you are what? A slave. A slave. If you are a slave, you might do what? <laughs> well, you might wander off um, or, or 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 run away, um, and. It wasn't that Cartwright discovered this. People knew that slaves ran away. But rather like earlier attitudes towards people cracking up on the battlefield, the standard attitude towards a slave that ran away was, that's a bad slave. Right? He's he's just, you know, bad. And what we should do is catch him and beat him and put him back to work. Cartwright was an odd sort of liberal from the sound of it um, in the sense that he said... Um, No, 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 no. They're not bad. They're sick. Because after all, as he understood it, the proper place for um, a a, a slave, for for an African American was to be a slave, right? So if you wandered off, you weren't being a good, you know, a, a, a healthy, normal slave. You were, you'd gotten up here somewhere, um, and you were being abnormal. He also, by the way, had a lovely biological theory about the cause of this, which was decarbonized blood. Um, I, I don't know. it Sounds like it would do something bad to me. I mean, I don't. But so decarbonized blood, and he had a treatment regimen. Remember that the the, 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 tr- the standard treatment for a slave who ran away. Was catch him, beat him, and put him back to work. Cartwright said, "When you catch him, what you need to do is rub some uh, the slap, sorry, not rub, slap some oil in with a broad leather strap, and put him to work." All right. So the treatment didn't sound all that different. In any case, it's a, it's a pretty clear case of a purely a, a, a disorder defined entirely by. Um, society, there's, there's, there's not a, I don't know, decarbonized blood notwithstanding, there's not a, a, an organism there, um, there's not, uh, well, you, you can think of the environment as, as causing the slave to run away, but not not in the sense of causing a disorder. We would consider this to be essentially a normal, we, we'd be with sort of Thomas Zaz on that, that's a sane reaction to an insane world, perhaps, to, to be a slave and to, uh, um, uh, to run away. Now, you, you might argue that we don't do that anymore, um, but if you were to say, um, okay, what this is is weight. Let's, let's make this normal distribution weight. Um, we, the surgeon general is perfectly happy, um, you know, and, and, and all, all sorts of you know, outfits are perfectly happy to declare that if you're above this level, whatever it is, you're abnormal, you're overweight. Um, and... There are plenty of theories, folk psychological and otherwise, that basically give a psychiatric spin to what's going on there. Right? If you've heard. Um, theories of obesity being, you know, there there are pop theories that, oh, they're overcompensating for, you know, that they're they're eating to substitute for the lack of love in their life. Or it's a lack of self-control. Or it's because they have, uh, uh, you know, they they, they have genes for fatness. Um, All of this might be true at some level. I'm not casting any um, doubt on the... um, The particular theory, that's a separate topic, but uh, but you've got to realize that what you're doing is taking an essentially normal distribution, with the exception of some very few, uh, there there, there are a a small number of clear pathologies of weight regulation. Mostly what you're doing is taking one tail of the distribution, declaring it to be abnormal, and then putting an explanation on it. Um, How you understand that is culturally dependent. And it's in part, you know, how we talk about obesity is in part defined by how we, we talk about beauty. Um, in cultures where obesity is considered beautiful, you don't get theories that say it's an abnormality. Right? So in some fashion, this is, uh, we do this all the time. Um, well, all right, uh, to, to, to illustrate, in the remaining time, what I, what I want to do, and, and I'll loop back to this point, is look on your handout on, page three, page three, we're going we'll, we'll, to, let, let's, let's do a little bit of armchair diagnosis here. Um, we don't have much time, quickly read these three vignettes, and quickly decide where they lie on the scale from fine to very weird. Um... And uh, I'm deliberately using very casual language there in order to suggest that you not, you know, think deeply about whether or not you're giving them a psychiatric diagnosis here. I just want to know whether they're nuts. And we'll collect a little data. How are we going to collect this data? wait wait wave a limb don't cheat off your neighbors please um, and, and and wave a limb when you're done how many people are done most people are done okay good enough all right, uh, all right, in the interest of getting some data relatively quickly, let's group between... Um, okay, let's, uh, let, let, let's do aluminum hat boy, Jim. Uh, how many people gave him a sort of a one to three, he's fine. Uh, four to seven, he's a little weird. All right, I, I, I take it we got a lot of population in there. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, so Jim's here. Uh, all, all right, um, how, how, about, uh, how about Jack there at the bottom? We'll come back to Sam. Um, how many people thought Jack was in the one to three he's fine category? Um, all right, uh, some bunch of people. How many people thought he's in the uh, four to seven category? a bunch more people oh let's give him some hash marks here so we can tell the difference Um, so this is uh, what is his name Jack Um, okay and, and how many people thought he was very weird so, only a very few. Um, so, so I mean, you, you can, in fact... So, 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 Jim is sort of the guy who came to my lab all those years ago. And Jack can be found in Harvard Square any time selling some, you know, far-left newspaper and, and yelling at you about um, the fact that we're all controlled by something or other. And we just consider them to be, you know, sort of weird, but kind of... Uh, yeah, it's, this is in the realm of free speech. All right, let's take a look at Sam. Um, how many people thought, Sam's just fine... Uh, okay. How many thought Sam was just in the middle? Okay. How many thought that Sam was pretty weird? All right. So that 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 looks. Uh, uh, well, oops. I gotta need some space here. Um, so we had sort of. Well, no, it's not going to work like that. It was. Well, actually, yeah. No, th- lots of fines, a few less in the middles, and. Uh, Almost as many weirds. It's a pretty wide distribution, right? The other two are very heavily skewed. Um, uh, could could somebody in the uh, uh, fine department explain why he's fine? Yes, fine person. I think he's weird. That is not the same. I need I need somebody who thinks he's fine. Fine. Yes. Pink. Yes, you pink person. No, that's you with the pink, the pink and the black jacket. Yes. <laughs> A stamp collector. What's that? All right. The trick here is there is a two-word variation between what half of you have and what the other half of you have. Let's see if that makes a difference. People who um, don't have the stamp collector one know the difference, which is that one half of you have, where am I, where, I can't read a thing here, Uh, 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 his major passion is collecting stamps, and the other half, his major passion is collecting women's undergarments. (laughs) Right? That's the, that is the only difference here. Yes? (laughs) Actually, that's lovely because I could probably, exp- I-, I could expand um, this description. If I said he used to write all of his relatives and ask him to send him um, used stamps, um, nobody would think that was weird. And if I said he used to write to all his relatives and send- ask him to send used underwear, that's really weird, right? And But if... If I changed it a little more to say, um, what is his name? Sam was a uh, shy, withdrawn man, the president of the Haynes Underwear Company, and he ran, you know, his, uh, yeah, at the corporate headquarters, he had the big, you know, underwear exhibit or something like that. Then he becomes less weird. Um, given the time, let me just reiterate the point that what this is intended to illustrate is that the border... Between what makes you weird and what makes you just a little different is not clear. It's not something that we can define nice and sharply. See you Thursday.